Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews. But now, we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. An estimated 12,000 migrants remain encamped under a bridge in Del Rio, Texas, as federal authorities continue efforts to process and deport the illegal immigrants, so they claim. For their part, the White House and DHS Chief Alejandro Mayorka seem unwilling to acknowledge the fact that there's a crisis, choosing instead to play semantic games and even attack Customs and Border Protection agents. I'll dive into the latest spin on the border crisis in tonight's All the Line. Welcome to Hold the Line, I'm Buck Sexton. It's all exactly as we thought it would be at this stage at the U.S.-Mexico border. Given what we've seen in recent months, there was no way that this situation was going to improve, and it was just a matter of time before you had another surge, a caravan, if you will. This time, instead of Central American migrants, it is thousands and thousands of people of Haitian origin, although many of them have actually not come directly from Haiti, but up through Central and South America. They're now claiming to be refugees. They're seeking asylum in the United States. And currently, as you can see here, they have formed a major encampment at the U.S.-Mexico border. Now, the Biden administration certainly in a conundrum here. How do they turn these people away without seeming like they're not the open borders uh, regime that the leftists within the Democrat Party demand? Well, Secretary Mayorkas, for example, the guy running DHS under Biden, he thinks the borders are closed. That's what he's telling us. Uh, eight to 1,100 known gotaways, which would equate some, somewhere over 300,000 gotaways, known gotaways for, for the year. Uh, if you annualize these figures, been a couple hundred thousand people per month, uh, we'll be up to about 2.1 million apprehensions. Add the, get, the getaways, three to 400,000, we're up to two, two and a half million people. Um, you've repeatedly stated that our borders are not open, that they're closed. Do you honestly believe that our borders are closed? Um, Senator, uh, I do. And um, let, me, um, uh, let me speak uh, to that. Borders are closed, he says. That seems like it might be news to the thousands and thousands of migrants who seem quite confident that they will in fact be let into the United States one way or another. This clearly doesn't look good, but for the Biden administration, it brings up some major questions like, do they actually view this as a problem in and of itself, or is it just an issue because people are seeing this? 
They're certainly concerned about the optics. They understand the American people watching a massive encampment form right next to the U.S.-Mexico border under this bridge or near this bridge that is the Del Rio crossing. It seems like they don't have a handle on things, but they don't want to call it a crisis because that word makes it seem like, you know, the Biden administration has yet another crisis on its hands in the aftermath of Afghanistan and countless other poor decisions playing out in front of the American people. They're worried about the optics. They're worried about the words. Here's DHS Secretary Mayorkas making sure that he doesn't use that C word. As you are looking at these scenes and you were there, is this a crisis? Let, let, me, um, let me share with you uh, quite clearly. It is heartbreaking to see because what we are seeing is vulnerable individuals having been deceived by smuggling in, uh, organizations and misinformation take the perilous journey north when we have been quite clear that it will not be successful and that is not what they should do. What is the reticence to call something that is so clearly a crisis a crisis? Uh, I call it um, a heartbreaking uh, situation, a tremendous challenge. Ah, challenge. Different C word. Okay. So they're playing word games now because otherwise, what are they going to say? They're going to admit they've got another failure on their hands, right? Or they could create an emotionally charged story based on a falsehood and run with that in the news cycle for 24 hours. Here is a photo of a Haitian migrant who they said was being chased on horseback and whipped. That was the claim that the, that the uh, CBP official was using that, uh, what you see there as a whip. It is in fact the horse reins in usage to try to get the horse to go in certain direction. You know, it's like trying to direct the horse, the steering wheel for that horse, if you will. It is not actually a whip. It was not used as a whip, but don't tell that to the White House and the Democrat party, the journos and all the rest of them. Here's Jen Psaki, White House's chief uh, propaganda mouthpiece, saying using a whip is not appropriate. Jen, a follow-up question on Haiti. There are photographs and reports of uh, border agents on horseback using what appear to be whips um, on Haitian migrants. Does the administration view that as an appropriate tactic? Can you speak to that? There are people who are upset about it. Yeah, understandably so. Um, I, I've seen some of the footage. I don't have the full context. I can't imagine what context would make that appropriate, but I don't have additional details. Uh, and certainly, I don't have additional context, April. I don't think anyone seeing that footage uh, would think it was acceptable or appropriate. The problem is uh, that wasn't actually happening. There weren't, they weren't actually whipping anybody. But don't let that see. You see, they've got something to talk about now where they get to be the good guys in this, the Democrat Party, the Biden administration. They're the heroes, not the villains of the crisis at the border because they're making stuff up and pretending to be brave in the process. I mean, here's Vice President Harris talking about how awful these Customs and Border Patrol uh, folks, Border Patrol folks specifically, uh, were being when they were on horseback. What I saw depicted about um, those individuals on horseback treating human beings the way they were is horrible. And um, I fully support what is happening right now, which is a thorough investigation into exactly what is going on there. Um, but human beings should never be treated that way. 
They weren't treated that way, if you believe that they were being whipped, which they were not. But you see how the story gets going, and then everyone just comments on the story that didn't actually happen, and you have the Democrats focusing attention away from what's really going on. People are coming to America, entering illegally, and then gaming our immigration system so that they, or asylum system more specifically, so they can stay forever. Skip the whole line, skip our laws, benefit not only from breaking our laws, but also give benefit to the cartels whom they pay thousands of dollars to to transfer them into the, uh, or to the U.S.-Mexico border region. But how's that uh, whole addressing root causes situation going? Remember Kamala Harris was supposed to address root causes. That's what they're, they're claiming in the media. And that's why she had been kind of missing from the border situation for some time. Remember, it was but a few months ago when Kamala Harris was the border czar who refused to go to the border and then thought the answer to the question, why won't you go to the border, was to just lie and say you are going to the border, which was a pretty remarkable thing when you think about it. Well, uh, Jen Psaki was asked, what is Kamala, the vice president, Kamala Harris, up to these days? Because she is still supposedly the border czar. Here's the White House says. Where's the vice president on any of this? Isn't she supposed to be addressing the root causes of migration? Absolutely. And she has been addressing the root causes of migration by working with countries in the region to ensure they have the assistance they need to reduce the number of people who are coming uh, and trying to make those journeys across the border. We've actually seen some reductions in some of those numbers. That doesn't change the fact that this is a very challenging situation in Del Rio. We're working to implement our policies and we're working to uh, ensure we are also addressing root causes. Ah, yes. What, what are those root causes again? Don't worry about it. Don't pay any attention. They just want to distract you with something else. We'll have more on this coming up in a moment here with former Department of Homeland Security Oversight Counsel Mike Howell. Right now, I want to tell you about my friends at My Digital Money. Crypto markets heating up. A lot of people want to get in on the action for the first time. They've never done it before. So where do they go, right? They want Bitcoin, Ethereum, any of these digital tokens out there. They should go to My Digital Money. My Digital Money is an easy-to-use, self-trading crypto IRA platform with amazing customer service. They'll actually answer your phone call at My Digital Money, and they'll help you with everything you need. They've got an unparalleled military-grade security for your coins, trigger orders to help you secure opportunities, and a play money account so you can test the market without risking your money. When it comes to your money, you deserve a team of dedicated professionals who have your back, speak to you honestly, and treat you like a human, not a number. Check them out at MyDigitalMoney.com. That's MyDigitalMoney.com. We'll be right back. While Biden's deputies and spokespersons continue to soft sell the crisis at the border, the president himself finally seemed to acknowledge the issue today when confronted by a reporter. Take a look. Mr. President, what's your reaction to the images coming from the southern border? Get it under control. Get it under control or you have it under control? We will get it under control. Okay, we'll get it under control. Biden's words come as a little comfort considering the crisis has been going on since the beginning of his days in office. Joining me now is former Department of Homeland Security Oversight Counsel and Senior Advisor for Government Relations at the Heritage Foundation, Mike Howell. Mike, thanks for being with us. Hey, thanks for having me. So Secretary Mayorkas, head of DHS, was on the ground in Del Rio yesterday. Do you think that this visit could actually turn into some real action, or is this just to give the appearance of action so that we can get distracted with other things. Right, that, that's exactly it. It's disaster tourism. He's just going there for a photo op. You gotta judge someone by their actions, not their words and their photo ops. 
There are tons of policies that this administration turned off the day they took office. They haven't changed the thing to turn something back on to actually get this under control. In fact, we see their biggest concern right now is that, you know, Border Patrol on horses are down there. They want to actually take away Border Patrol officers that are guarding the border. For a second, we saw one, you know, minor step towards border security and people actually being returned at the border. And now Democrats are up in arms. The White House is calling for an investigation. They got it all backwards. And Mayorkas was on the Hill testifying today. Absolute disaster. Didn't break any news or announce any new policies. It's just going to stay as bad as it is now. We're sitting at the new normal. Now, you were a senior official in DHS. One thing that keeps coming up for those of us who are trying to follow this issue closely is why can't we know the percentage of people who are released into the U.S. interior versus how many are actually turned back? I mean, do, do they have that data pretty readily available? Is there a way we can get access to that data? It doesn't seem like certainly most journalists are particularly interested in it, but we are. Yeah, that, that certainly is data the Department and Customs and Border Protection keeps. Senator Johnson was asking Secretary Mayorkas about this today. Mayorkas would not give him a straight answer. In fact, he said he didn't have the data available, yet said Johnson was wrong in his estimation. So how can you know or not know the data, but know the senator's wrong? Johnson did press him. Mayorkas promised to give Capitol Hill this information, which they've been withholding, but they have it. And the reason they're withholding it, I assume, is because the numbers are really bad. People are being released into the interior in absolute mass. DHS is reportedly putting migrants on planes and sending them to uh, Port-au-Prince. Do you think that this, in Haiti, uh, do you think this will continue on at levels that will deter more individuals uh, of Haitian origin or from anywhere for that matter from coming in? Or, you know, the, the numbers here seems to really matter. If you've got a 50-50 shot of getting into the U.S., a lot of people will take those odds. Oh, you're, you're absolutely right. And once you get in, there's no chance of you getting really removed. I was, you know, happy to see that some flights to Haiti resumed. And believe it or not, when people, when word got out that some people were being returned and that uh, law enforcement was actually sent to the border to stop or at least appear to stop some people, some Haitians decided to turn around and walk back to Mexico where they've been, you know, for years since they, you know, left Haiti. So it's funny, you know, deportation and removal enforcement works. But this administration, I don't think is going to carry it through because the activist base and the radical White House staff that really is pulling the strings here, they are not about it at whatsoever. They don't want anyone to get sent back. It's, it's too tough for them. You've argued that the border crisis is actually purposeful. Can you walk us through that argument? Explain, explain how, what you mean. Right. So the Biden administration for, for about the last couple of years of the Trump administration was developing a complete playbook of how to undo every little policy, whether it be an executive order, a DHS regulation and everything. They walked through it all, had it all set to go on day one. There's hundreds of briefings from the Trump DHS team and career officials to the Biden team where they explained exactly what would happen if these policies were undone. They were warned in absolutely explicit terms, and they did it anyways. And so it's absolutely purposeful. We know now after 200,000 uh, border crossers last month, it's basically been at that record level for you know, the last six or seven months, which is four times basically the average of the year before, at all-time highs ac across the board, that the policies that the Biden administration canceled, they're resulting in this crisis. It's not rocket science to figure out what exactly changed. 
It's Biden and his administration done doing the policies that change. They knew this was coming and they did it anyways. What would have to happen to bring the numbers of illegal crossings down? And Joe Biden said pretty tersely, they're going to get it under control. If he was serious, what would that look like? And what are some of the steps that you'd see from DHS for uh, Border Patrol and, uh, and CBP? What would happen? We'd see the resumption of wall building. We'd see military at the border, a declaration of the national emergency. We'd see uh, ICE, which is currently shut down, actually be allowed to do their job to include removing people inside the country. We'd see Joe Biden, who basically promised when he was running for president a surge of asylum. Uh, we would need him to actually go out and, and, and say things that are very different than how he's saying it. Not having your White House basically uh, disown the Border Patrol as they did today when they said they're going to investigate the Border Patrol. We would see Mayorkas resign because he's a failure. He's failed as a DHS secretary. We'd see all of the regulatory efforts that they've taken stop. Right now, they're trying to make it easier for people to apply for asylum at the border. It's going to be an absolute rush once that's through because no one is going to get denied and they're all going to be here forever. So we basically need an absolute reversal. It's politically impossible for this administration to do these things, though, because it would be admitting that they were wrong and the Trump administration was right. So I'm not holding my breath. Where do you think this goes? I mean, are, are Democrats starting to see that this is a political liability, at least in the short term, going into, I know we're 12 months away from it, but a midterm election year, you can't argue with these numbers. We're talking about record-breaking uh, numbers of illegal immigrants entering the United States. We're talking about uh, a summer period that was supposed to be a slowdown and was not, in fact, a slowdown at all, if anything, an acceleration. Is there a, a likely backlash from this? Or do you think the, the politics of this will play out in such a way that they'll just be able to distract and not pay a price at the polls? Well, you know, I certainly hope there is a short-term consequence that actually leads to policy change. Unfortunately, I think folks are getting somewhat numb to this new normal. Uh, we've been sitting around the same numbers for, you know, many, many months. Long-term, I don't think Democrats see this as a problem at all. And the reason they don't see it as a problem is because they want all of these new voters. That's why they're pushing on Capitol Hill for voting rights and full welfare benefits for virtually every single illegal alien in the United States. That is the end goal of open border policies. It is to change the electoral and demographic makeup of the United States in such ways that it ensures permanent democratic uh, political control, especially in flipping you know, big red states. I mean, Texas is high on their list. This is their path to... Uh, basically take over certain red states because they can't win on policy issues. So they want to import new American voters. Mike, thanks so much for your time. We appreciate it. Hey, thanks for having me. President Biden delivered his first address to the United Nations today as his administration struggles to extinguish a number of foreign policy fires. Coming up, former State Department spokesman uh, Morgan Ortegas going to stop by to give her thoughts on Biden's bumbling foreign policy. First, let's talk about your morning cup of coffee. If you're like me, you have to start your day with a healthy dose of caffeine. That means kicking off my morning with Black Rifle Coffee. Black Rifle is a veteran-owned coffee company that serves premium coffee to people who love America. They develop that coffee and their company with the same mission focus they learned while serving our great nation. With every purchase you make, Black Rifle gives back. In 2020, they donated over 6 million cups of coffee to veteran, law enforcement, and first responder causes. So join the Black Rifle Coffee Club today, because when you join, your chosen brew is roasted, packaged, and shipped free to your door. You'll also get special discounts on roasts and gain access to exclusive products and much more. 
Purchase at BlackRifleCoffee.com slash buck and use code buck at checkout for 20% off your purchase and your first coffee club order. We'll be right back with Morgan Ortegas. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. After spending a nice weekend relaxing at the beach, yeah, Biden returned to the White House yesterday with multiple foreign affairs headaches on his plate. Today, the president was at the U.N. General Assembly in New York, but can he smooth things over? Let's bring in former State Department spokesperson and principal at Rubicon Founders, Morgan Ortegas. Before we get on the list of foreign affairs issues Biden is facing, let's uh, listen, Morgan, to what he had to say on the importance of allies earlier this year. The message I want the world to hear today, America is back. America is back. Diplomacy is back at the center of our foreign policy. America and alliances are our greatest asset. And leading with diplomacy means standing shoulder to shoulder with our allies and key partners. Morgan, you were a senior official in the uh, Trump State Department. I I was unaware that diplomacy was gone. Yeah, and I think that the French would have a lot to say this week about diplomacy. Uh, They are fuming mad and you saw something happened this week that never happened in the Trump administration, and that's that the French ambassador, the French government got so angry that they recalled their ambassador. Now, I'm for what Biden and the administration is trying to do with what we call AUKUS, which is another silly government acronym that you know all too well, Buck, right? UK, Australia, US, listen, this is a really important alliance, but the way um, that some of the diplomacy has gone down in the administration over the past past few months actually has brought for a rather cool reception from President Biden uh, towards President Biden at UN General Assembly this week. We still have a lot of European allies who are incredibly angry about the lack of consultation and the chaotic withdrawal from Afghanistan. And we're now potentially on the precipice of seeing the world's largest terrorist state in Afghanistan. So it wasn't really the homecoming that I think Biden um, perhaps expected at UNGA this week, which this week, which sort of, I think, makes sense for sort of the unremarkable speech that he delivered today. I just want to know, can you, can you tell everybody what happened with this French nuclear Australian submarine situation? Because it is a big deal for them to pull their ambassador. That's not something that happens every day. It is. You know, there's a lot of finger pointing going on. There's a lot of Americans saying, well, the Australians were supposed to tell them. And, and of course, you know, there's been reporting, and, and again, I don't know if it's accurate, but there's been reporting um, that the French have actually accused us, the Americans, of lying whenever uh, they asked about the submarine deal. 
taking all of that aside, again, an alliance and a stronger partnership with the United Kingdom and Australia on security measures, especially as it relates to the threat of the Chinese Communist Party, that's crucially important. But as we learned in Afghanistan, uh, execution is just as important as good ideas, right? So it, it's a great idea, but if you piss off all the allies in Europe uh, that you're trying to bring along on this, um, you know, sort of existential geopolitical struggle against the Chinese Communist Party, if you lose them along the way, you've again had a great idea with really bad execution. So it's been more than a month, uh, and Americans alongside translators and other Afghan allies are still stuck in Afghanistan. There was this whole, oh, it was Trump's fault moment. You remember this, I'm sure, with the Biden administration saying, we inherited this timeline and, you know, it's Trump's fault. I mean, that's basically what it came down to. Well, what's, uh, what's the response that people should know to that talking point? And then also, what should we be thinking about now that the Biden team still has folks who are behind Taliban lines? Well, the American people are not stupid, and they know uh, that the president has been in charge um, since January. Uh, and obviously, they know that that it's his decision. He said in April um, that he was taking responsibility, that he wanted to get America out no matter what. So again, American people aren't stupid. You know, they understand uh, that this was his plan and his administration's failure of execution. Um, he didn't inherit our plan and our timeline, or, or at least he didn't act upon those because the Trump timeline had a conditions-based withdrawal, getting everybody out in May. Uh, they decided, the Biden administration decided to not go with that timeline and not to have a conditions-based approach. And Buck, I think that that is the crucial point. As Biden and his team said, we are getting American troops, all of them out of Afghanistan, no matter what happens, no matter what the consequences are. And what Mike Pompeo and his team negotiated was a, a full drawdown, but conditions-based, meaning that the Taliban was going to have to prove that it had broken with al-Qaeda and that they were going to have to negotiate with the current government of Afghanistan, with civil society, with women, to form an inclusive political settlement and inclusive government. Uh, we never had in the cards that the Taliban could militarily take over the country and that we would allow that to happen. Uh, that's a big difference. They knew Trump would never allow that to happen, and they clearly knew that Biden would. There's a recent Fox News poll that says Biden's job performance on Afghanistan, 66% disapprove of it, 36% approve of it. I just think it's interesting. This is the first major foreign policy challenge the Biden team has had to handle, although I do know that Vice President Harris is allegedly still working on root causes of the migration crisis in, in Central America. We'll see how that one is going. But what is the foreign policy philosophy? What is the Biden doctrine as we've seen it so far, if such a thing exists? Do, do we know? Yeah, they keep making references to uh, putting diplomacy first. They obviously care very deeply about climate change. And actually, my boss, Mike Pompeo, has said this, that every administration has a guiding principle and, and, and how you make your policies based on that principle, right? So President Trump's guiding principle was putting America first, whether it's in our trade deals or diplomacy, military, whatever we were doing. And President Biden, uh, the guiding principle for his administration seems to be about climate change. Um, so they supposedly care about coordinating on climate change and on the pandemic. Um, and, and remember, he spent over 40 years uh, at cocktail parties, traveling and going to conferences around the world. Now, mind you, I like these conferences and I attend many of them. And I think 
relationship building is important, but I don't think it is the end, right? I, I don't think that is diplomacy. The end is whenever you get to uh, the strategic goal that is in the best interest of the United States and her allies. So it was really, um, if, if you look for foreign policy guidance, um, Buck, from President Biden's speech at the United Nations today, you're gonna get a lot of talk about diplomacy and solving things together, um, but not really a lot of substance. I don't really know what their foreign policy is. I don't get it. I don't think they do either. But Morgan, thanks for being with us. Appreciate it. Good to see you. And the expertise is always uh, much appreciated. Thank you. Thanks, Buck. The vast majority of Americans have been evacuated from Taliban-controlled Afghanistan, but the job is far from over. Coming up after the break, we'll talk to Chad Robichaux, whose organization Save Our Allies helped bring thousands of people home who were otherwise going to be left behind. Let me tell you, though, about my friends at My Digital Money. A lot of people want to get into crypto, Bitcoin, Ethereum, so many digital tokens look like they could take off again. How do you get started? Where do you go? That's where My Digital Money comes in. This is an easy-to-use, self-trading crypto IRA platform. And a key thing here is the great customer service. They'll actually answer your phone call and help you get started. Plus, they'll put up trigger order on your account. They'll give you a play money account so you can actually test the market without risking money. And they've got incredible security for your coins. Crypto market's heating up, so this might be the best time in a long time to get into this exciting technology-based investment. You deserve a team of dedicated professionals who have your back. That's what you'll get with My Digital Money. Go to MyDigitalMoney.com. Again, that's MyDigitalMoney.com. We'll be right back with more. Hold the line. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. More than a month later, much remains unclear over what will happen next in Afghanistan. Americans remain stranded. The Taliban have complete control after sweeping Kabul, and they've successfully prompted a flood of Afghan allies trying to escape the country. President Biden and his administration appear to have little interest in those that remain in Afghanistan so long as the issue remains off of the front pages. So what's being done to extricate Americans who remain, as well as our Afghan allies, Join me to answer these questions, founder and president of the Mighty Oaks Foundation and United States Marine Corps Force Recon veteran, Chad Robichaux. Chad, good to see you. Great to be on. Thank you. Can you give us an update on the success of your group, the Save Our Allies organization? Um, give us an update on where you guys are right now and how many of our people have been evacuated thus far. Yeah, well, uh, I initially went and... Uh, honestly, a little selfishly, to get my interpreter that I served with for eight deployments uh, on a JSOC task force. You know, I had a very close relationship because of the nature and the way we, the two of us worked independently together for, you know, years. And I got to know his family and 
his children and and we maintained that relationship and i tried the siv process to for his visa for six years and it failed and so i was going to get him and uh when i seen this falling apart and as we built our team we learned there were more people uh and particularly this group of three thousand orphans and uh me and my we had about uh 12 guys special operations veterans and we knew that we had the skills abilities and resources to help more people we went to the uae government and asked for their support uh, the, the UAE government, I'm really very happy to say they were amazing. They gave us two C-17 planes, an airstrip, pilots, a humanitarian center. We set up an operations command there. And uh, we went into Afghanistan in a period of, uh, of 10 days. We extracted not only my interpreter and his family, but 12,000 people. And what can you tell us about the, the um, were you involved in getting Americans out specifically as well, or you know, American citizens, green card holders? Yeah, so, uh, you know, I think who we got out, to say we got 12,000 people is, you know, pretty broad. To say who we got out is very important because we're very strategic and I'm very proud of our team for the level of uh, intentionality we had in uh, targeting one American citizens uh, that were, you know, in, in very, uh, very dangerous situations to get out. So we targeted them, SIVs, which are interpreters, their families, uh, children that were in orphanages. We targeted uh, women that would be vulnerable to uh, any type of, you know, uh, sex trafficking or anything from the Taliban, and then Christians that would be persecuted. So those are the groups we went after. The twelve thousand we got out were, you know, primarily those groups, and uh, and you know, we got them to Abu Dhabi and to the humanitarian center there. They're still there. We are responsible for eight thousand nine hundred eleven of them, and we're working with the State Department to to help uh, make sure that the process that they're going through is uh, being treated with, you know, dignity, dignity and respect. And we're going to see it all the way through from the home they left and they lost to the home that they're going to eventually find themselves in. What would you say the role the federal government has mostly been in this? Or if you can give us just some sense of how it was in different phases here. I think people are surprised that it took private organizations like yours, a lot of former veterans stepping up and just deciding to do these kinds of evacuations uh, because there was clearly a need. Uh, but people might assume the federal government, uh, the Biden administration, the White House, uh, would step in and have all of this done. So what happened? Yeah, I mean, first of all, the, the, the whole thing was done uh, incorrectly. I don't believe we should have ever left Afghanistan. I think the American public has been lied to to say that there is, we're in a 20-year war, an endless war, a long-term war. And uh, I think so most Americans believe that we had to get out of this at some point. The truth is we were no longer in a long-term war. Uh, we were We had... 2,500 to 4,000 troops on the ground at any time, supporting and advising the Afghan National Army in partnership with the entire international community. We're holding Bagram Air Force Base, which is the most strategic position in the globe on today's current climate. And we were successfully keeping the Taliban at bay by supporting and advising the Afghan National Army. Uh, we have 80,000 troops in Japan and 40,000 troops in Germany, 30,000 in South Korea. Why was it so important to remove 4,000 troops from this strategic location that now is owned by Iran, uh, China, Russia? I mean, this sits right in the middle of all those places, and we gave it up. And not only did we do that, we moved out the we moved out our military and gave up Bagram Air Force Base before our civilians, creating this terrible situation, uh, a humanitarian crisis, a hostage situation for our Americans, and uh, the military was the military is normally doing the neo operation, which is a non 
combatant evacuation operation. The White House took that from the military, gave it to the State Department. The State Department had no idea really how to run that operation and treated the HKIA airport like an embassy and didn't go out and do the rescues. So it prompted organizations like ours to go out and do the rescues. I will say, however, uh, we cannot have done what we did without the cooperation of the United States military. Uh, we did receive CENTCOM approval. The military did give us a, our own ramp and own hangar on HKI Airport. Uh, we coordinated with them for all our rescue operations. And uh, so we had we had to do it in partnership with the military. And we're continuing rescue operations. I leave tomorrow to head back overseas. Uh, there's, there's still 5,000 Americans there. Uh, I, and I will say, people would think I'm crazy for saying that. There's at least 5,000 Americans still there. Well, I'm, I'm and, sorry. Uh, you just said there are 5,000 Americans in Afghanistan? Five, there, uh, not 200, uh, like the White House is saying. And this is just simple White House math. And, uh, and people were saying I was overestimating, but if you go back and listen to the Senate hearing, the Senate hearing came up with the same math. And then you could just go into conservative numbers. The most conservative numbers were by the White House. They said they had 15, 10 to 15,000 Americans there, and they rescued 6,000. So 10 to 15,000 minus 6,000 is not 200. Are, it's, are uh, those Americans, I mean, are they in contact with? friends and family back here in the States? I mean, are, 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 you know, obviously I know there's still a lot of sensitivities around what's going on with the Taliban and, and to what degree any kind of bargains can be struck here. Uh, how, how do these, uh, however many Americans there are, and you're saying there are thousands. I mean, obviously the White House has said hundreds. You're, you're straight up saying they're basically lying, right? Uh, how are yeah. they going to get out? And are you involved in trying to help get them out? Yes, uh, I am involved in trying to help get them out. We're, uh, we have current, we're, myself and you know, Save Our Allies organization and several other organizations. We're working in, in conjunction together in a collaborative effort uh, to get Americans out and get our SIVs and family members out, get persecuted Christians and women out. So we're still working to get people out. And uh, I mean, we had a flight leave today. I can't say from where with 200 people on it. Uh, just day before yesterday, we got a flight out with 95 of the uh, girls on the, the female soccer team, the FIFA soccer team. We worked with Nazarene Fund to get that flight out. Uh, so we, we're still getting flights out. We're getting people out over the ground. Um, I, we just got uh, two young Christian girls. Their family was part of the underground church. They got across the border. And uh, and, and I don't want to say which border, but we were uh, working to get them uh, over to Abu Dhabi. So we're working active uh, – and, and a lot of these people, they're in safe houses. Uh, a lot of the Americans, when I say Americans, a lot of them are dual citizens. So they, they would look Afghan, but they have a blue passport and they know if the Taliban gets their blue passport, they're never getting out. And so they're hiding in safe houses. We're trying to move them uh, safely to places that we can extract them from. And uh, we're, we're gonna continue to do that as long as we can. Chad, anyway, the folks watching at home can help. Yeah, you go to saveourallies.org. Uh, you know, a couple of things that we need help with is uh, one, of course, uh, prayers, money. Uh, this is very expensive due to the operations we're doing. And uh, we're not the United States government, but we're doing the job that the United States government should be doing. And so it's very expensive. We need financial support to get, continue doing this and to resettle, uh, to resettle. And then two, one of the biggest things we need right now is we're asking uh, the President Biden to sign an executive order to remove the humanitarian visa fee. There's a $575 fee uh, uh, for humanitarian visas. And I wrote a $20,000 check yesterday to pay for these. There's no reason uh, that the State Department should be charging visas during this humanitarian crisis. Chad, thank you so much for your work. And we'll talk to you again soon about how this is coming along. Thank you. God bless.
With all the coverage on the tragic Gabby Petito case, Joy Reid over at MSNBC wasted no time calling out the media's obsession with missing white women. Let you hear what the host over there uh, said callously coming up on Quick Hits. But first, how much equity do you have in your home? 50,000, 100,000, more? Cybercrime experts are alerting homeowners the more equity you have, the greater the chance foreign and domestic criminals will come after you. Home title theft is one of the fastest growing crimes out there. In fact, Home Title Lock, America's leader in home title protection, is alerting homeowners they could already be a victim and not know it. Here's how it goes down. First, cyber thieves search hundreds of public databases for high equity homes, then they pull your home's online title, forge your signature stating you sold your home, and take out loans using your equity. You're not covered by insurance, your bank, or common identity theft programs. Protect your most valuable asset. Register your address now to see if you're already a victim and receive a complete title history of your home, a $100 value free. Go to HomeTitleLock.com. Again, that's HomeTitleLock.com. We'll be right back with Quick Hits. BLM inserts themselves in the recent vaccine mandate dust-up at a New York restaurant, and New Zealand authorities arrest two men trying to smuggle Kentucky Fried Chicken into lockdown Auckland. Not sure what's going on in that part of the world, but we'll keep shining a light on it here on Hold the Line. It is time for Quick Hits. And let's first get to MSNBC, where the host who gets the most headlines, at least on the right, continues to be Joy Reid. She says things that people, even who aren't particularly political or invested in the news cycle, go, what did she just say? And here is a moment that I think could fall into that category. Joy Reid called interest in the Gabby Petito, now murder case, an instance of missing white woman syndrome. But the way this story has captivated the nation has many wondering, why not the same media attention when people of color go missing? Well, the answer actually has a name, missing white woman syndrome, the term coined by the late and great Gwen Ifill to describe the media and public fascination with missing white women like Lacey Peterson or Natalie Holloway, while ignoring cases involving missing people of color. Now, just putting aside for a moment whether that's even really a, a thing, um, Joy Reid has a show. Why hasn't she made it a real purpose of the show to whenever there's a case like this that involves a person of color to highlight that story? I haven't seen any of that. I'm just wondering. I mean, she has a national platform with, I guess, millions of viewers. So why not? Uh, better to complain about this imaginary syndrome, I suppose. And then there's what's going on here in New York City, where you have vaccine uh, passports to get into restaurants. Here's what happened. I've got to break down the story for you for a second. So three black women walked into Carmine's restaurant in the Upper West Side of Manhattan. They had their vaccine passports, which are required for all restaurants under New York City regulation. Check. Fine. They had them. They sat down. No problem. Then three black men, friends of the three ladies sitting down, tried to join them. Two of them did not have vaccine passports or cards available to show, and they were told they could not dine indoors. The hostess was a young Asian-American woman, 24 years old. She then told them that they had to leave because they did not have the vaccine passports. The three black women attacked the hostess, physically assaulted her, and then were arrested for assault. And now there has been an allegation thrown after the fact of racism, the claim being made by the lawyer for the three black ladies who attacked the Asian-American hostess at Carmine's restaurant in New York City, is that the N-word was used by this woman. 
I have to tell you, I think this is a lie. I think it's very convenient after the fact to say that there was a racial slur involved to try to make this seem like a both sides at fault situation, even though it turns out you actually can't assault someone violently for use of a word, no matter how ugly and wrong that word is. Um, but BLM doesn't care. They are out there protesting Carmine's restaurant after this whole vaccine passport fight. Supposed to be the aggressors. They were supposed to be. This white man said he was a white American. So that's your privilege to fuck a black woman? That's your Why are they protesting this restaurant? Anybody? What's, what's, oh, because they, they really believe that there was some racism involved in this. No, if there's any racism, it actually is the policy, the disproportionate impact the policy has of vaccine passports in New York City, because there is a, a large contingent of particularly young black and Latino men and women in New York, as well as other major cities, who have not gotten vaccinated. But it can never be about the policy, right? It's always some distraction about something else. New Zealand, speaking of a place that has really gone off the deep end when it comes to COVID, New Zealand had authorities uh, arrest men trying to smuggle Kentucky Fried Chicken into Auckland, which is currently in full-on lockdown. From The Guardian, two men have been arrested after police said they found them with a car boot full of Kentucky Fried Chicken and over $100,000 in cash as they tried to cross the border into Auckland despite New Zealand's strict COVID-19 lockdown. The arrest struck a chord with New Zealanders, especially Aucklanders, who have spent a month in strict level four lockdown that does not allow restaurants to open or residents to order takeaway food. Tyranny in New Zealand. And for what exactly? Well, sometimes people just want some chicken. That's it for tonight's Hold the Line. The No Spin News with Bill O'Reilly is up next. Shields high.